This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 24th of February. A very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3 with me, Peter Lewis. Financial Secretary Paul Chan on Wednesday delivered his budgets for the next fiscal year and pledged over 54 billion Hong Kong dollars out of a budget of 170 billion to fight COVID-19 on all fronts and at full speed. The headline measure is a new round of $10,000 electronic spending coupons for all permanent residents and new immigrants to Hong Kong who are aged 18 or above. They will come in two installments, with the first $5,000 being distributed in April. That's part of a raft of one-off measures to boost the economy, including tax cuts, property rate concessions and electricity subsidies for residents. And in an unprecedented move, there will be rental relief for some small firms that can't pay their rents for up to six months, with landlords barred from taking legal action against them. But the measures come at a price. The forecast budget surplus of $18.9 billion this year is projected to turn into a deficit of over $60 billion, or 1.9% of GDP in the next financial year, in the wake of the government's massive spending. Bank of China and HSBC have announced that their branches will no longer provide services on Saturdays from March the 5th in light of the COVID-19 outbreak. In a statement released on Wednesday, HSBC said it had balanced the community's needs for normal banking services and the protection of its employees and customers. Bank of China announced that services at more than 100 branches across Hong Kong had been suspended until further notice. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio Von File, Andrew Sullivan of Outset Global, and Agnes Wong from PwC Hong Kong. Money Talk on Radio 3. In a volatile session on Wall Street, stocks closed lower for the fourth day in a row as traders weighed up the impact of sanctions on Russia in the worsening crisis, Ukraine has imposed a nationwide state of emergency and warned its citizens to avoid travelling to Russia and to leave the country immediately if they're already there. The S&P 500 index dropped further into correction territory, falling 1.8% to 4,225, leaving it 12% lower than its January record high. The Dow closed at the lowest level of 2022, ending the day with a loss of 465 points, taking it to 33,132. The Nasdaq saw a fifth straight day of losses, tumbling 2.6% to 13,037. The Nasdaq is nearing bear market territory as it sits more than 18% from its November closing record. In Europe, the Stock 600 index fell 0.3%. London's FTSE 100 climbed 0.1%. The Vanek Russia ETF, a US traded security which invests in top Russian companies, dropped nearly 10% in New York on Wednesday. And the Russian ruble fell to a record low against the US dollar. Hong Kong stocks finished Wednesday with gains, pairing some of the big losses suffered over the previous three days. The Hang Seng Index rose 0.6% or 140 points to 23,660. The Hang Seng Tech Index added 1.4%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index climbed 0.9% to 3,489. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rallied 0.7% to $97.54 a barrel. Gold is at $1,910 an ounce. And elsewhere in the commodities complex, U.S. wheat prices have hit a 10-year high and soya beans rose to their high since 2012 on concerns over supply disruptions if there's a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield is five basis points higher at 1.99%. And in the currency markets, the U.S. dollar is a tad firmer this morning. The euro is trading at $1.13. The greenback is worth 115 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.35.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 57 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.31 in offshore markets. And the Hong Kong dollar has weakened to its lowest level against the US dollar in two years as the territory moves closer to a lockdown. The local currency weakened to 7.8056 per greenback, the worst since December 2019. And Bitcoin is 1% lower at $37,200. And across Asian markets, once again, it's a sea of red this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia is down almost 2%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, which was closed yesterday, is down 0.8% this morning at the open. The Cosby in South Korea is off 1%. And futures markets indicating a decline of about 400 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. It's coming up to 8.09. Let's welcome our guests. First of all, in our Queensway studio, we have our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl. Morning to you, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And joining him is, Man- is Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director of Outset Global. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And on the phone, we have Agnes Wong, who is tax partner of PwC Hong Kong. Morning, Agnes. Good morning. Um, I want to start, first of all, by asking each of you, what is your overall assessment of Paul Chan's budget? Maybe, Enzio, you could kick off. I won't need two minutes because we can get into this later, but by chucking $10,000 consumption vouchers at people, um, at 7 million people, 6.6 million people, he is going to beget social unrest, higher taxes, and probably foment even more war, war talk with Taiwan because we're not that poster child that we were supposed to be. So I think that President Xi is very disappointed in this budget himself. Okay, well, we'll come on to that in a moment. I'll be interested in uh, elaborating <laughs> on some of those thoughts. Thought about Quite it drastic. <laughs> uh, the consumption vouchers are going to uh, put us on a war footing. But um, uh, maybe, uh, Andrew, what do you think? Well, I think he's trying to appeal to popular support, but I think it, it lacks actually addressing the real issues, which are you know people with part-time jobs, those have disappeared, uh, $10,000 isn't really going to tide them over or, or give them an income. And equally, you know, it doesn't really address children's education, which I think is the big concern for people at the moment with schools being closed, distance learning and the rest of it. Okay. Angus, your thoughts? Um, well, it is uh, better than a better budget for me uh, because the original estimate uh, was deficit uh, over 100 billion. So now it revised to the surface of 18.9 billion. So it's, it proved that Hong Kong, we have a very strong financial health and foundation. And then uh, another thing is that it, this is a well-balanced one uh, because it comes for the measures for both the individual and enterprise in different industries. And we see the immediate measures to address the challenge 
under the current pandemic situation, as well as the long-term business measures for the business recovery. Okay, well, Agnes, let me elaborate on a couple of things then that, that you said there. First of all, in terms of our uh, financial uh, stability, we have surprisingly uh, come up with a budget surplus uh, this year, which is uh, sort of came out of nowhere because the the, uh, the financial secretary was before, uh, uh, predicting a hundred billion dollar deficit, but then we lurch back into uh, deficit next year. Um, so, are, are our finances really that stable? Um, this year, um, the reason why it turned from the deficit to service. I think the main reason is because uh, it's better than expected collection of tax revenue and then the land sales um, and also because of the issues, the proceeds from the green bonds mm. um, that actually contribute a lot. That's why it turned from the deficit into service. And going forward, if you look at the uh, forecast provided and, uh, by the, uh, the government, um, next year, it will be a deficit. The reason is mainly because of the expenditure. Uh, there will be quite significant amounts of expenditure uh, for the additional fund for, uh, to fight the COVID. But if you're looking at one more year, 2023 and then until 2026, we will see quite a significant uh, increment in the surface, the consolidated surface. NCR and, and Andrew? In terms of our surpluses, we've, we've got plenty of surpluses here. We could also borrow money if we want to. So um, is it right that maybe the government should be spending a lot more money this year? We're in a good financial situation, fighting the pandemic on these handouts. Well, handouts is the name of the game. I, I, I disagree with the – the government doesn't seem to have – and I think this is what disappoints again President Xi – doesn't have a lot of priorities. Why should each of us – in this interview get $10,000 when mm. I believe that that $60 billion or $66 billion should really be focused on the really poor, the truly wretched in the society to give them finally the homes. They yak about, they have the luxury of, of, of talking, of doing social housing over the next decade. I mean, this is an urgent problem that's not been attended to by the British, I've got to say, and certainly not over the past 25 years. Now, the other point that I wanted to make briefly is that it's, in, it's in, interesting that he's not mentioned the cost of northern metropolis that's only going to be a hundred billion and and Lantau tomorrow that's only going to be 500 billion well taking the cost overruns we're talking a trillion that's the cost of to, that's the amount of today's reserves that's going to threaten the peg at some point because we're just going to run out of money that means higher taxes Andrew are we, are we focusing our resources in the right way do you think or do you think this is too untargeted as NGO says we don't all need uh, $10,000 consumption vouchers well I think that's certainly true I mean I'm not sure that Lee Kashin is going to be particularly worried whether he gets $10,000 or not okay. um, you know they, these guys don't pay any uh, income tax they they take their money as dividends um, they really don't need that $10,000 whereas there's a lot of people whose jobs have just disappeared and we're not seemingly addressing how we're going to help small businesses survive especially at a time when we you know we're, we're thinking about more lockdowns which is going to you know cripple a lot of these small businesses and and on the point of lockdowns i mean nobody's mentioned the fact of actually closing the stock market uh, and the implications that that might have for hong kong do you think that's likely to happen well i don't think it is but i mean you know the chinese advising that we should go into full lockdown that would necessarily necessitate closing the stock market from from what's being uh, uh, outlined at the moment 
and that would damage presumably our our position as an international financial centre. Exactly. If um, I can just, but and also the um, this creation of these part-time jobs. Well, please don't believe these unemployment figures of 3.9 percent with a rise in people employed of over in January. So that we only have 135,000 unemployed people. Get real, guys. I mean, this is the, these unemployment rates are must be skyrocketing. They're fudging the numbers. That again is going to lead to social unrest, and that's just not good. That cannot please President. She who keeps on reiterating we want social stability in Hong Kong. Mm. I think on that unemployment number, you have to remember that there's no benefit really for registering unemployment. It's not like if you oh. register unemployment, you get unemployment benefit. All the mean, all the unemployment benefits are means tested. So if you lose your part-time job, there's no point in going down to the employment office and Good saying point. you're unemployed. So that the, the, this is a meaningless set of figures really that yes. they're using. Agnes, you've you've welcomed a lot of these measures. You've said the budget is a well-balanced one, but would you also agree that maybe these measures are just not targeted um, enough, although we are spending quite a lot of money, um, it's just not focused enough in the right areas? Well, I think if you look at the anti-epidemic fund, the additional one, um, it actually like provides an extra fund uh, for the different aspects, like why I mentioned this, because first of all, you look at that, 22 billion to strengthen the testing work, and then uh, 12 billion for the construction of the anti-epidemic facilities, and for this is for the for the government-wise. But if, if you look at the people hardship, how to relieve, uh, um, I think if you look at a different perspective, like. You mentioned about the 100% personal loan guarantee scheme for the individual, increase the maximum amount uh, to nine, nine times, and, and then uh, raise the ceiling. So um, you can see the government try to, uh, uh, to double the effort to do something to help in different aspects. Mm. And, and then there's uh, there probably like <clears throat> we mentioned about um, the most imp impacted enterprise or the business. Uh, so uh, one thing uh, which is good, we, we welcome is about the uh, enforcement of the rental policy to help the specific sector. So there's a different aspect like uh, the government tried to do to help the individual or the enterprise to recover from the anti-epidemic. But, and the, the current situation, yeah. But that money that's been spent on, in effect, maintaining zero COVID, that's what the money's being mm. spent on, this $54 billion. Aren't we going to have to do it all over again when the next wave of infections comes? We're going to have to spend tens of billions of <coughs> dollars again, which is going to sacrifice um, our economy. Wouldn't it be better if we move away from this containment mm. strategy to a mitigation one and get our economy over, open again? I think it certainly would, and I think the, the the embarrassment will come is the fact that if we do a, a lockdown and testing and say that we've you know eradicated it and we're zero COVID and it comes back, then that's not going to look good on anybody. You can't do a deal with nature, and that's what I was arguing last week, that even you can have as many lockdowns as you want, as many travel restrictions and all that. We can all st stay stuck in our homes for the next eight years. Nature does not, you can't do a deal with nature, and viruses most certainly don't, they get travel permits and they get permanent residency in Hong Kong, surprisingly. They get to go anywhere. They don't need visas to come into Hong Kong. They go where they please. Mother Nature is persistent and resilient and she's going to get us. So I think mm -hmm. the sooner one faces up to that, 
um, the easier things will get. I believe we are. I believe actually we're beginning to turn the corner precisely because you need more people to get sick in order to get immune, in order to get well. So I think, funny enough, crazy cocktail as I am, that these things may have been turning the corner already. But I want to add just one final thing, Peter, that it's it's great to spend $54 billion on, and on on pandemic expenditure. Why, why do we have this shortage in doctors? Well, because of the closed shops. So let's not gnash our teeth about we can't, we don't have a health policy here because because we don't have enough doctors because the doctors said we want to close shop. So even, I mean though we're spending, measure, yeah. so even though we're spending $54 billion, yes. you're saying we just don't have the resources. Well, it's, it's helping the um, doctors line their pockets, isn't it? I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Agnes, one of the things that a lot of people were hoping to see was some more measures to help the unemployed, particularly the long-term unemployed. Although pre before the budget, uh, there, there was the announcement of this $10,000 one-off payment for people who had been unemployed for over a month and who qualified, but there was nothing more in the budget. Wasn't that a, a really a, a rather remiss of, of the, the financial secretary? Wouldn't it have been better, rather than handing out consumption vouchers, to focus on this area, which is really a big issue for Hong Kong? Um, well, I think this year it's very tough our government <laughs> to to do this budget because uh, uh, he needs to strike the balance, the uh, well balance in different aspects. And well, for the for the uh, ten thousand consumption voucher, uh, if you look at last year figure, um, these actually help stimulate private consumption. Five thousand. Did, did it really, though? Can I ask that? Yeah. What, what is the evidence that it really did? I know the the financial secretary has claimed it was a huge success. It really boosted our economy. What, what, where is the evidence or the data that shows um, just how much it did boost it, yeah. if, if at all? Uh, well, in terms of the data, uh, we, we, we rely on the government uh, uh, estimate. Uh, <laughs> exactly, so, that's uh, what I'm saying. It's, it's just a government's yeah, estimate. <laughs> So we, we believe that, that actually, but I think if you like, probably from now, for now, the most important to fight the COVID. So how we can like um, go, go back to normal. And if that's the case uh, with these uh, 10,000 consumption voucher, I think this is, uh, 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 we, we can see that they can help stimulate mm. the, yeah, the market. And there's another thing is that because uh, probably well, we look at like all these uh, about the short-term measure, we actually uh, what, what we say is a well-balanced because it has a long-term measure as well. These actually uh, pave the path like for the recovery if the COVID is under control. So uh, for the government, probably they wanted to strike the balance, both the short-term it made the measure, and then the uh, medium-term and then the longer-term. I mean, Peter, I think you have a problem. You know, with, if you're going to really address the long-term unemployment issue and look at retraining people, yes. you can't do that if you're going to close your schools down. Yes. Uh, you're not going to educate your existing children. Um, mm. and, and we have a problem there. We just have a lack of facilities and a lack of a, a, a thought-out plan as to how to do that. And, and I think that, you know, going forward, you know, not educating our kids and having them isolated and distance learning these are this is the next generation we're keeping them at home because the eldest generation the eldest generation here is not prepared to be vaccinated and and whilst you know nobody wants to put lives at risk you know the elderly have had that choice whereas the young really don't 
So you're saying really that the young are being made to pay a very, very heavy price for a small group of people who refuse to get vaccinated. Well, exactly. look at the mass brain, the brain drain. I mean, it's, it's fine saying we're going to create 60,000 short-term jobs. How many have gone lost? How, how much is our international financial center, this, this hoopla that we keep on being told about, being threatened by no English speakers anymore and by the brain drain of people simply leaving exactly for what Andrew's saying because their parents are worried mm about the kids' education. I, I know it's an area that's causing a lot of anger and concern Absolutely. amongst parents across Hong Kong. I've heard it mentioned uh, uh, many times. What about the unemployed, though? Should, should we be doing more? Surely one of the best ways we can boost our economy is get those people who have lost their jobs back into work, try and support them in the interim period while they're either... Uh, being retrained or trying to find new jobs. Yes, but but we've been sort of in the we've been digging graves for the past decades on things like innovation, technology, medical technology. We could have been, for instance, the medical center for all of China. We could have been the financial center for all of China. We could have been the currency center for all of China. We could have been a whole lot of things that could have created oodles of jobs. Instead, we're trying to create short-term stuff just to get people a little bit off the street. I don't. I just don't. Again, the chickens are coming home to roost for policies that have been in place, frankly, since about 1997, if not before. And I think you know, a lot of the jobs that are missing are are to do with the you know the the social distancing measure. These are catering jobs in small outlets. These are service jobs, part-time work, um, but they are crucial to a lot of the the, the population here. Mm. Okay, Agnes. Let me ask you about one thing that was uh, a surprise in the budget: this rental moratorium. Um, so it's going to allow certain SMEs in certain sectors to, in effect, uh, have a break from paying their rent for three months and possibly up to up to six months without being sued by the landlords. What do you make of that? Is that a good idea? Um, I think for the current situation, this is a good thing to see. Because, uh, but for sure, we are looking uh, uh, to looking forward to see what what's the definition of the specific sector, right? How you cover uh, what about like the most important impacted industry or the business? So with this, it can help like very short term immediate measure for those industry, like say for example SMP or SME, if they couldn't like uh, afford to pay the rent, that really can help. And as long as the business still there, uh, at least there's some job opportunity mm. for the employee. I mean, it, I think we're, tra- we're we're actually treating the, the you know the symptoms and not the cause. Yes, that's the that's the, that's well the problem with it. Um, you know, we're, we're helping these companies get along because because basically we've undermined the rest of their business. Why only certain sectors? Well, it seems a bit odd, isn't it, that if you're an SME who is suffering from this, why why pick certain sectors? Why not all SMEs if if this is a problem? I suspect that there's some vested interests play a role here. And I think if you do do that, then you undermine the, the basic structure of the legal leases throughout Hong Kong. Uh, and that, that means that you just don't get people investing in the companies. Is it going to distort uh, the, the rental markets, do you think? Maybe people, landlords, won't want to rent out their properties anymore. 
I think you've got a bigger problem. I think a lot of these SMEs realise that they don't have a business going forward and, mm -hmm. and just stretching it out. Rent is a large part, but they also have staff wages, they have electricity costs, they have other costs, and they're in a supply chain. Uh, and once you realise that that business has gone, just because you're not paying your rent, it doesn't get you out of your other debts. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a sticking plaster on it when you've, when you've gashed an artery. So really, it's just deferring yes. the problem. Maybe, you know, you don't have to pay your rents for six months, but you've still built accumulated debt in that period that ultimately you're not going to be able to pay. And, and remember, that's a knock-on effect because your suppliers then, you go out of business, they don't get paid because you've been allowed to extend by not paying your rent. Mm. It's, it is really putting band-aids onto a diseased patient that goes way back to the cartels, to the closed shops here, the high costs of doing business in Hong Kong, the lacking English, things like this. And the, these chickens are coming home to roost. It will only worsen going forward the less that people, the, the less that the leaders here decide to do something about it. And that in turn is going to anger Beijing and particularly President Xi even more, the mm. social unrest that's coming. Um, Agnes, what about these rental subsidies? Uh, you can get a tax deduction now if you don't own your own home uh, against your rent, capped at $100,000 a year. This is, is this a good start? Um, yeah, this is a good start because uh, uh, we, PwC, have been talking about these for years. Uh, finally, we've seen it this year. Uh, mm. Maybe some people will argue that, okay, um, 100000 a year is not much because per month is like... A uh, few thousand, but uh, this is a good start. So we hope mm. the government will revisit the relief on March from time to time, and then uh, taking into account the upward pressure on the property price and then the rent as well. Mm. But isn't it making our tax our tax system is starting to get more and more complicated, mm. isn't it? We're getting more exemptions now, more relief Good measures. Um, you know, one of the one of the things about Hong Kong was we had a very simple, very straightforward tax system. Yeah, because uh, um, we maintain a simple tax system for many, many years. But starting from this year, uh, you see in the budget that uh, the government plan to start uh, uh, to implement mm. uh, the, the international tax reform proposal because of the best to conceal initiative. Uh, talking about the global minimum effective tax rate and also the domestic minimum top-up tax rate. So I think this is a... Uh, the government uh, needs to continue to maintain simple tax system, um, but plus the, the global uh, tax reform. So you're right that it's getting more complicated. I think it's I think it's simply simpler that that these budget deficits that we currently have are going to balloon massively over the years. That's been the tax hike here, and so this tax system that we had in Hong Kong that's also going to be part of history. Mm. The simple tax, elegant tax, it's fun to do business in Hong Kong. Oh, really? Let's go back to Germany or Europe, the Welfare Museum. Uh, Agnes, what about um, the progressive, uh, the, 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 uh, the finance secretary was talking last year about reforming the rating system. Um, has now come up with something which is basically going to make it a much more progressive um, system. Presumably this is prompted by uh, Beijing and, and their move towards common prosperity and, and sharing out uh, the, the benefits of the economy so that the people can afford to pay more. Is that how you see it? Um, <laughs> well, uh, because in Hong Kong, the government's revenue uh, mainly comes from property tax, dairy tax, land sales. And this will be affected by the local and global economy. Mm -hmm. um, 
So if I truly then maybe like it depends on the situation. So with this, the introduction of the progressive rating system, uh, we call that affordable, affo- affordable user pay more principle. Uh, it will affect like um, for certain property owners, but it will not have very wide impact on the property owners because the government estimate is that it's around like a 2% impact. Mm. So uh, with these, uh, we can see that there will be additional revenue stream in the long run. And this can help like, we, we talk about like Hong Kong tax system is simple and then because of the international tax reform. So this can help like um, bring in long-term, long-run income for mm. the Hong Kong government. Briefly, um, NCO and Andrew, do you see this as a move towards a fairer tax system? I don't think it's really going to make a huge amount of difference. I mean, a lot of the you know, residential portfolios that this is going to impact are you know, very historic. Um, and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a small increase on, on the part for the, land, the, the landlords. Um, and I suspect over time, you know, as rents go up, they will, they will you know, put it in with the rent and it'll be the end user that ends up paying. Enzio, final thoughts from you? Well, again, I'll just repeat what I was saying at at the outset. I think overall stepping back a little bit, chucking $10,000 at an economy that is at a sick patient is like putting Band-Aids onto a cancer patient. That's going to lead to social unrest, higher taxes, uh, leading to some paving the way for war with Taiwan. And I'm afraid that makes President Xi a very unhappy president in, in terms of Hong Kong. Okay, on that note, we have to leave it. But thank you very much. You heard their personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl, Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director of Outset Global, and Agnes Wong, tax, tax partner at PwC Hong Kong. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And let me give you a, let me give you an update um, on the markets this morning. They are tumbling across um, Asia at the moment. The SX200 is down 2.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down three quarters of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea off 1.3%. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 400 points lower later on uh, this morning. Let me just remind you that tomorrow morning from 8 to 9, we have the financial secretary phone in. That'll be your chance to put your questions and comments directly to the Financial Secretary on yesterday's budget. And we look forward to hearing from you tomorrow morning. That's from 8 to 9 uh, on Radio 3. Coming up in a moment uh, is the COVID update with Jim Gould and James Ockenden this morning. The weather forecast for this this morning. Cold, mainly fine and dry during the day. Maximum temperature of around 17 degrees and then it's going to be mainly fine with temperatures rising progressively in the next couple of days. There is a cold weather warning in force. It's 11 degrees 71% relative humidity. 8.33. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half hour news. The Financial Secretary Paul Chan has acknowledged that the rates reform announced in yesterday's budget strikes a blow against wealthy landlords who make a living renting out luxury homes. And he said it's a first step towards sharing the benefits of economic success. The reforms will mean more expensive properties attract proportionally higher rates. People who own multiple homes will be able to claim rate relief on only one. At a televised forum, Mr. Chan was asked whether his plans aligned with Beijing's push for common prosperity. In the budget, we spoke about why we want economic development. It's about raising the living standards of all people. We also mentioned how we can share our economic development in a fairer way. 
The principle that those who can afford it should pay is one of the ways to achieve that, and this progressive rates reform is only the first step. A tax partner with PwC Hong Kong says the highlight of the budget was the announcement of progressive property rates. Agnes Wong said it could bring in more long-term revenue for the government. Speaking on an RTHK program, Ms. Wong said she doesn't expect the policy to have much impact on property owners. This is the first time uh, we introduce um, new test uh, system for Hong Kong. And the progressive raging system for the domestic properties will bring into additional revenue for the government. And this is not expected to have very wide-ranging impact on the property owners, because uh, based on the government's estimate, uh, these uh, impacts will be amounted to only 2%. The government has announced further tightening.